All right, welcome to the latest edition of WARP in Cincinnati. Paulina Jr., he turned those screens of The Athletic, are here with you as we uh, we keep right on trucking. No baseball, no anything uh, on that front, but we are still here to talk about stuff, so we're going to do that, right? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, Trent, how are you hanging in there? We're good, you know. It's, I think we're dealing with the same thing that everybody else is. Um, I, I have no complaints that nobody else has. So, um, yeah, it's a, at least it's a beautiful day out. So there's that. Did, uh, did my morning run. We'll do my afternoon walk. You know, there you go. That's it. You do the walks. We do the walks in the park. Uh, you get, try to get out in the backyard, try to throw the ball around a little bit. Whatever you can do. Do the walk of life. Try to stop, you know, try not to sit around and, uh, <laughs> and read the news. I do my very best not to keep up with the news. Um, I try to, I try to keep up just enough. No. Nope. Just enough. Cause I can't, I can't go too far for my own mental well-being. So, uh, but that's why we're here today. Yeah. We'll, we'll put out our standard, uh, our standard disclaimer, right? Yes. At this uh, point, that, that is, I think, it, even though it's all understood and we all know the boat we're in, we it still makes us feel a little bit better to say it. Just more comfortable saying it. We understand that this is totally frivolous and uh, and doesn't matter at all compared to everything else that is going on. Uh, however, we're here to hopefully give you a distraction for any little bit of time that it can help. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. We understand, uh, things are much more serious and it's like, why would you even be talking about this? Well, because at this point we all need to start worrying about our mental health <laughs> as, as well as our physical. You know what? If you're not looking to avoid it, you're sure is, you're sure not coming here to get updates. And yes, like yeah. I think everybody who is coming here is looking for a diversion or well, I don't, I can't tell you what the hell they're thinking, but you know, um, they're not here to get anything important. So there you go. No. Well, yes, no, you're exact. You're exactly right about that. What we are going to do is we're going to kind of take today. We talked about this a little bit at the end of last week's podcast and, and we have uh, our what if series that was actually something that we planned to drop in throughout the season what was supposed to be throughout the season this came I think the idea for the what if series was concocted way back before spring training even started yes. and that was once a week is somebody from a different market having a a sort of what if worth diving into uh, from their franchise's history and I had already signed up to do this one god bless you and so <laughs> well, and now, now everyone's doing things like this. So it sort of blends in a little bit with, in the, in the, the woodwork. Uh, but nonetheless, still a, a fun thing to dive into. Although mm. maybe, maybe not fun for those who, <laughs> an interesting thing to discuss and dive back into. And that for the one that I chose was what if, Johnny Cueto didn't pull his oblique in 2012 and the fallout from that, which goes far beyond just, Oh, winning, a, winning a couple of games or not winning a couple of games. Um, there, there's, 
a lot of other stuff that is that that's a part of and it's sort of a part of a bigger picture thing too but for those who don't remember uh the reds had their perfect rotation <laughs> where their five starters had not missed a start uh all year long and then six pitches in to the first playoff game against San Francisco Johnny Cueto uh has to exit and turns out he has a pulled oblique he would not return uh they end up winning the first two in San Francisco and losing the last three at home uh, with Mike Leake having to pitch game four, who was not even on the playoff roster, uh, and Matt Latos, they saved for game five, uh, who had come in in a pinch for Cueto in the first game, and he ended up giving up a grand slam to Buster Posey. I know Reds fans are like, really? But he did, and uh, the Reds fight back, including a improbable, incredible drama of a Jay Bruce at bat oh. in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, and six to four ends up being the Giants winning that game five, and they move on. They beat the Cardinals in the NLCS and sweep the Tigers in the World Series to win it all. And they even won it again a couple years later. The what ifs from this are as what ify as you get over the last three decades of Reds baseball. I mean, it was their best. Would you say it is their best team? Yeah. I mean, since, you know, 95. I mean, I guess you could argue the 99 team. Oh, yeah. Um, which is its own separate conversation, but certainly the best team of the 10 to 13 run. Right. What set them apart for 10 was the pitching and the starting pitching. Um, let me find that. I was, I was looking at it again the other day. It's just, um, cause I was, I was, or not the other day. I was looking at it a couple weeks ago. Um, when you look at the leaders, the, um, the pitching, the team leaders or the, um, the, the team pitching of that year, um, they were one of the best cause they were one of the best pitching teams in, 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 in the national league. And you talk all the time about, can you have, a can you have a staff in Great American Ballpark that is can you have a, a pitching first staff um team and this was a team that was um let's see third in ERA 3.34 ERA for that team um ERA plus they led um I'm looking at the National League let me look at um MLB I, I'm guessing they led the the MLB and um, ERA plus that year. If not, they did lead the national league. So, I mean, that was the, yeah, they led the, they're the best pitching team by ERA plus in baseball that year. That's bullpen rotation in great American, in great American ballpark. That's what you talked about. For, I, so in, but like even ERA, yeah, they were fourth in baseball, a 3.34 ERA. Yeah. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I, in, in the story, I sort of wanted to dive in and break down, not just individually, because really, I mean, we, the, the fallout within this series, if you're going to, there's a lot of fallout to dive into. And I want to start by just the series as a whole, the what if they would, would they have won it, mm -hmm. right? Which is the obvious. The obvious. But, but what I like about what you wrote more that come is off of, but the, more than just the obvious. So, and I yeah. mean, we would all love to be like, Oh, world series, but you know, that's not saying that that's possible. Everything else, though, there those those butterfly effects. There's a lot of them. Uh, 
but the, within the series. So you you look at I mean this was Johnny Cueto's year. I mean it was he was just dominant. He finished I, I believe fourth in the Cy Young voting. Um, you know he was he, he even had an MVP vote. Like he, there was. It was his year, 2.78 ERA, 148 ERA plus. 140, wow. And and then you, you go to Matt Latos, Bronson Arroyo, and Homer Bailey all had ERA pluses between 110 and 120. And that alone, that top four was so good. The, the Mike Leak factor, essentially this series came down to switching out a start from Johnny Cueto to one for Mike Leak because they still win the first game. Right. And they still basically get Matt Latos in game five on full rest. They chose to go that way rather than swinging uh, Arroyo and Latos both on short rest to try to pitch games four and five, which is the big decision of the series, and we can get into in retrospect if it was right or wrong. But Mike Leak, 4.58 ERA, 90 ERA plus, and then you get down to what was happening at the end of that season. I mean, that difference is obviously substantial. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, the fall off is so incredible in what you were getting. Let's just look at these five pitchers, the last 10 starts, their ERA, the last 10 starts of that season. Johnny Cueto, 3.27, was actually the worst of the four during the last 10. People forget how hot the staff got yeah. down the stretch. Matt Latos was a 279. Homer was a 284 with a no-hitter. Bronson Arroyo was 3.12, one of the best stretches of his career. And then you had Mike Leake, who has fallen who was sort of falling apart. He was young. It was a 4.85 over his last 10. He was the absolute odd man out. And the fact that you wouldn't even try to find a spot in the bullpen for him was kind of tells you all you need to know where you're not even putting him on the playoff roster. The, the, I, you know, even though Johnny Cueto was technically the worst of the four with a 3.27 ERA, the, the massive fallout, the idea that going Cueto and Latos in games four and five wouldn't have made a difference. It's a hard sell. I mean, that, that team was based on their starting pitching. Their bullpen was certainly good. So once you got into the back end of it, uh, with Marshall and Chapman and, and Broxton, um, and Broxton, but getting to that was the key, you know, in Cueto, that's all he did. He was an innings eater on top of being great. And, uh, you know, that's that's really what it comes down to is what the difference that would have been made by Cueto starting one of those two games instead of Mike Leake. And you can't I mean you you can't say anything for certain because this is just a what if, but hard to imagine a scenario where Johnny Cueto doesn't go out there and throw like Johnny Cueto did that whole year. Yeah, I mean it's just uh, yeah, it it was unbelievable. And and you know, you know then you look at um, what he did in 2005, he had, he had one stinker in 2005 and, um, in the ALCS, but he goes out, I mean, I'm sorry, 2015. Yes. For the Royals. Yeah. I mean, the Royals traded for him to be the playoff difference maker and he was the playoff difference maker. Um, you know, game two of the ALDS, he's not great, but he's good and, and they win. 
um, pitches six innings. The then game five of best of five series, he goes out, pitches eight innings, two hit, two run ball, eight strikeouts. Um, has a stinker in Toronto in the ALCS, his only ALCS appearance, and they lose. And then game two of the World Series goes and throws a complete game two hitter. And I mean, that's that's the guy the Reds. He was he was better in 2002 than he was in 2015. Yeah, or 2012. I, yeah, I mean, 2000, 2000, 2000, yeah, 2012. I mean, you, you can if you go back and look. I mean, you can make an argument for what his best season is. It's hard to argue against that one um, for everything he was doing. But that's that's. I mean, that series comes down to that. And then so let's let's say you flip that forward. I mean, you come back to an NLCS that would have been against the Cardinals. Familiarity. Uh, they split the series, basically split the series, eight to seven Cardinals that year. Of course, one of those losses, Mike Leak pitched, so he wouldn't be in the mix, but who knows exactly how that all would break down. But with that rotation, and, and it's not just about the totality. Again, that ro- those four were on fire. Mm-hmm. And you would have had Homer Bailey coming off one of the best games he's ever pitched. Uh, at uh home. Arroyo was in, was great. Yeah. He, they, they, it's not like, I mean, they were going to continue rolling. That was, that was as fearsome of a rotation as you can face in a seven game series as you could ever imagine. You, you, you know, they were playing, pitching their best ball of the year. And so hence, Playing their best baseball, and really, and when you, it's hard to imagine what not winning that. And almost. when you go into it, like uh, Latos had one bad inning in that in that postseason, mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, his other two it, it was bad. It was it was a really bad inning, but he was really good there for a little bit in that. You know, and they almost got through that really bad inning. Um, you know, they almost one swing. Yeah, and and I mean. They missed making up for it with one swing. Jay Bruce, you know, one of those foul balls. If it's 10 more feet, I don't even remember exactly how foul it was, but you know, if it's just a little bit more, it's not, it's different. There are just so many little what ifs about how it could have changed. And it's just, I mean, that's why it is fascinating and that's why it's a really interesting read. You know, so you get, you get into that series alone and we, you know, you can, you can talk about that and we can, you know, Losing game three in retrospect. That's the killer. Is, is the killer. The one, the one where Homer pitches his face off. The one where you had opportunities to score runs. You know, you end up with unbelievably, uh, an error, uh, by Scott Rowland. And a pass ball by Ryan Hannigan. Happening. You're two, two of your best fielders. Pass ball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Scott Rowland, uh, of the, Eight-time Gold Glove Scott Rowland, tenth inning error. You know, th- these are the types of things that just that that drive drive you mad uh, when you when you look when you look back at what happened here, um, and, and all that's you know, all, all that's fine. Um, but if they win that, in, and if they go on to beat, you know, the NL was, I mean, St. Louis crushes Detroit that year. I mean. 4-0 sweep. You San Francisco, so but yeah, that, yeah. Or excuse me, the Giants. Yeah, thank you. The Giants crush San Francisco, crush Detroit. It's a it's a sweep of four games. It appears the National League would have been the team 
to make that to win that that year regardless and it was getting out i mean maybe that was the series that was a difference and you you know if that would have been the case the fallout then for a number of people is really where i think it starts to get fascinating and first of all i would say you're looking at probably a coin flip to a little bit better to them beating the cardinals um, with the, if you had that staff with the way they were pitching, St. Louis had a very not good team, obviously too. Um, but I, I think that's that's probably part of it. But if you add and they go on to win a World Series, but even just a postseason run, but you add a World Series, let's talk about Scott Rowland. Yeah. Scott Scott Rowland uh, did not get enough credit for what he was for that team because that team, that run, ends up in the grand scheme of baseball mostly forgotten outside of the I-275 loop. Oh, yeah. Like, they never they never made any noise in the postseason, uh, largely because of what happened in 2012. If they make that run, it's very apparent. Well, and that's what you would hear that whole postseason. You know, what you heard yes. about Hunter Pence that season, you would have been hearing – about Scott Rowland, and you would have heard much about the 2018 trade that Walt Jockety made to bring him over. I mean, that's what we would have heard over and over again. And instead, we heard about the um, Hunter Pence in the dugout at Great American Ballpark. And those things have lasting memories. I mean, th- those things live on for a long time. Well, there's no doubt. And and you get into so so Rowland. As far as where he's, I mean, he's currently right there knocking on the door. I mean, he's seventh in the hall voting in his third year on the ballot this past year. He received 35% of the vote. There's a, there's a dynamic. I mean, you can dive a little bit more, Trent, into the dynamic of voters and, and why, you know, how he's viewed. But there is no doubt that another probably championship moment of some sort and, and, you know, all the other stuff that you're talking about of what the discussion would have been and adding a second World Series onto a incredible 17 year career, uh, that included eight all-star games and, you know, seven gold gloves and all the stuff that he has. I would make a pretty good argument that that probably would have put him over the top where we're not talking about fringe candidate Scott Rowland. Yeah. No, I think you're, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I think here's the thing is Roland's going to be and has been kind of see him as that next sabermetric case. Um, for, for so long it was Burt Bly Levin and then it was Tim Raines and then Larry Walker. Um, I, I think you could see a similar, um, kind of run for, for Scott Roland and the support he gets. I believe I voted for him this year. Um, maybe even the year before. I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head. I do know that whatever that line, I did, I did vote for him this year. And I think I voted for him last year, um, or the previous year. So he's one of those guys that will get that sabermetric argument. And, you know, if you add in some of those postseason heroics, maybe he wins over some of those other guys. And especially, you know, that was the end of Scott Rowland's career. Um, or did he play in 13? Yeah, yeah, that was it. No, that was it. His last 
at bat was striking out to end the series. And his biggest defensive play was the error that allowed the game-winning run in Game 3. Yeah. As opposed to going out holding a trophy. I mean, we see it. You see it so often across every sport where these guys walk away, and you leave the lasting impression on everybody. That's you know, when you comes to Hall of Fames and stuff, the last thing they see is lifting a trophy. Uh, it does. It does. It does have an impact. It's. It's. It, it is relevant. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that would have been a big, big part of his resume, or at least the impact. Yeah, to be to be the clubhouse centerpiece of two championships in in you know the, in an eight year span essentially a six year span. Yeah. Um. So, talking about interesting Hall of Fame cases, <laughs> there's a, there's a couple of these at play when you look at what could have been. Dusty Baker fallout. It, oh, I yeah. find fa- really fascinating here because d- there is. N- there are really no dings on Dusty Baker's career in the regular season. There are no dings on Dusty Baker as a manager outside of the fact, and it's a biggie. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but it outside of the fact of not ever getting over that postseason hump. You've never talked about that, that before what, about a uh, person in charge of a team. No. No, no, but it, it is the sole it is the sole thing used against Dusty, uh, over and over the long haul. Certainly not just in Cincinnati, but right. over over the long Nationally. haul. And you talk about a guy who's on a run. I mean, five of the five of the last six seasons he managed, he won over ninety games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you throw in his Nationals time and then the time with the Reds, he had been to a World Series before. Uh, Won almost hundred games before. He, he's he's got he's got a, he has let's see he has ten seasons with at least ninety wins in his career, but he doesn't have any postseason. I I think if he had a ring, he's a shoe in, no doubt, Hall of Fame manager. And I, you know, you can go into some of his past teams, and, and maybe we're talking about different what ifs if they make it, and and you have maybe an, a, another what if on a dusty managerial decision, and you have one here actually, yeah. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, it, it, Dusty Baker sticking with Matt Latos. He was in, so in game dumb. five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, it, that. I mean, that was the hard part of what happened in that inning was Latos was cruising, and I know we're going we're going into a dark place, Reds fans. But uh, people forget he was cruising, and then all of a sudden, it just quickly falls apart. You get a walk here. It was really you a, quick. You get a couple of singles. It, it was quick. It was. It, 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 it certainly was. You, you know, you get a single, a triple, a ground out, and then you get an air, uh, a walk, a single. All of those things have happened before Buster Posey steps into the batter's box. All of those. Yeah. So. I mean, it's a real what do you do moment. I mean, <laughs> high leverage, high leverage situation. But like, like we were saying earlier, your starters were the ones that had gotten you there. And Matt Latos in particular was the best pitcher down the stretch 
on that team. They were 9-1 and one in the last 10 games that he started that season. They set it up so that they could have Matt Latos on full rest to go in that game. And so in that key moment, Dusty Baker, despite what had happened, decided to stick with the guy that had got him to there. Was that the right move? Should he have gone to somebody else? You know, it, but you had, had to have somebody warming up. You had to have somebody ready. Just so quick. I, I, I've always kind of felt that it's hard to, to push it on him there. I just, I just do. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't know. You know, I mean, it's, I, I don't, I certainly don't think, I mean, I think, a, I think a lot of people want to put it on Dusty. Oh, I yeah. think a lot of people want to go back and say that that's Dusty's fault that, you know, after you go single, triple ground out air, walk single, that you've, you've seen enough, but what are you going to do? So you're going to trust Sam LeCure who came in after the grand slam to go yeah, out there and I get mean, that massive out. Or are you going to, or are you going to trust Matt Latos? I, I think I just, at the very least, I think it's a coin flip call, but more than likely, I, I, I think, I, I would, I don't think that it's even that close. Yeah. Here's the thing. So single on a one, two pitch, two oh triple. All right. So you're like, Oh man. Okay. Run in a triple. Do you get your guy up there then with Matt Kane, the pitcher up next? I don't think you do. You may know what? Uh, a run in and a guy on third, you know, facing seven, eight, nine. Maybe you do just because it is, um, because it is coming back to the top of the lineup and uh, third time through the order and all that. Uh, but first pitch to Angel Pagan is an E6. So that's there. Then 3 0, yeah. You walk a guy on four pitches. That's when I don't, I mean, I think LeCure had to be up then. But really, when, when do you, do you get somebody up before that? I, I don't know when you're deciding to. I mean, cause, and, and I don't, I haven't looked at this game when Sam LeCure got up. But, I mean, the next one, so after that walk, if you do it there, that's a three pitch at bat, the single. And then Posey hits the grand slam and that's his last pitch. So, so it, do you, you know, I yeah, mean, where is the, the point where that's, you can that's get the thing is before that, what people forget about that inning was before that Matt Latos was cruising. Yeah. He had given up. Let's see. Um, let's see a single and uh, two singles in the first. But got out of it easily. Went through the order in the third. Um, then through the order in the, f- or then the second in the third. In the fourth, he, uh, gave up a single to, an infield single. Yes. So you're talking about a guy who's given up an infield single and two other singles. And had gotten, and had gotten Buster Posey out twice. Yeah. Already and, with fly balls to center field, and he missed his pitch. You could see that on Ryan Hannigan's re- reaction. Yeah, that's an all that's an all time every Cincinnati sports fan ever moment. 
yeah. Ryan Hannigan's head drop. That's like that's the that's the one that everybody everybody uh, has like you know ingrained in their brain that that corner that you try not to go to you know too often but occasionally just shows up in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I it, I think so. Dusty Dusty takes heat for that because there's a history there. I mean, we know Dusty Baker. Has, He's a, he's stick with his guys, right? I mean, it's part of what has made him uh, a, a great manager is that guys go to the plate. They go to the play every day knowing that their manager has their back and believes in them whether they fail that night or not for the most part. And the the thing about it that made it stick out more was Bruce Bochy was managing the exact opposite way. Bruce Bochy was managing like managers manage today. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Bochy is a Hall of Fame manager. There's no doubt. And he is. Yes. That was, he wasn't until then, you know. Um, he, he really built that in, in 2010, he built up that, that reputation. 2012, he solidified it. 2014, you know, Tom Suchia started working on the plaque. <laughs> Tom Suchia, I, I don't have a whole lot of Tom Suchia knowledge, but I'm glad you brought him up. <laughs> He's, Has he, anybody ever written a story on Tom Suchia? I have. Were you being sarcastic? No, I on it. No, I I, I am partially setting you up, but I didn't know if that you officially had done. I assumed when you said that you had. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I wrote about it um, because his first year was when Griffey went in, and Tom is from Cincinnati and is an artist out of Cincinnati, and he does the the plaques for Major League for the uh, Hall of Fame now. Ken Griffey Jr. was his first there one, it is. so. He, he's done the statues outside Great American Ballpark. Um, yeah, Tom's ah, yes, great. yes, yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing to look back on. But but when you think about what hit one of his best teams, you can debate Dusty Baker's best teams. But when you think about this team, it certainly was the best team as we know that he had with this group, and he was doing some of his best managing. In how many games they won and everything else. And if they win, it changes the way everyone views Dusty Baker. It's just like any of these guys. It's in the NFL. It's Andy Reid noted right. most noted most for his failures in the postseason. Now lovable, you know, spawner of quarterbacks and great coaches who now has his title so mm-hmm. or John Elway as a as a quarterback you could and it's across all sports baseball has millions of these but Baker is one of the prime examples of of noted most for winning and then losing and to kill that narrative with it would only take one run yeah. to make people yeah. view him differently and put him in a hall of fame and you know that's the type of stuff that happens when one guy pulls an oblique. All right, let's just take one second and take a quick break. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides treatment is right for you, 
Romans Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel any time. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash W-A-R-P for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash W-A-R-P for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, let's – one other person – uh, that I want to get into before kind of the finale, what I actually think is the biggest part of this. I think there's a, a thought out there. Consensus? I don't know. You can you can tell me if you think it's consensus. That Walt Jockety sort of botched the beginning of the rebuild. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, the, the one will you always go back to, and I will forever think of this, was 2014 trade deadline. And... We're in Miami. The trade deadline passes. They don't do anything. And, you know, I know there were people in the organization, like, saying, we have to start this rebuild. It's it's done. Let's go. Let's just bite the bullet and do it. Um, but we asked Walt. I, just, I remember asking. It was me and Mark Sheldon at, at Marlins Park. And one of us, I think it, one of us asked, well, did you consider a, you know, a complete rebuild and, and trading away a Roldis Chapman or Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto, that 2014 was probably his best year. Yeah, 2014 was his best year. So did you consider that? And his answer was, do you know who I work for? Or you know who I work for? And so I, I, I don't know if it was really, but, I mean, I don't know that it was Walt Jockety's decision, but part of his job is, trying to convince ownership to do what is in the best interest in long term. And it's hard to say we're not going to win and we're not going to try to win. And um, it was before the Cubs made that call. I mean, the Cubs were in the middle of it. The Astros were in the middle of it. And before it was proven and coming late hurt this team and hurt this rebuild. Because, you know, if you trade, heck, I mean, you traded um, uh, Aroldis Chapman at the absolute worst part time, and that happened. And, um, you know, what's this team like if they have Glaber Torres? <laughs> or or some of the Astros guys that they were in talks with. They were in talks with the Astros. Yeah. In wow. 2014 and 15. I mean, you talk about, I mean, you, you could do an entire – Maybe this will end up being next week. Maybe next week you do an entire breakdown of how they botched the rebuild. You know, oh, there's enough things going on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll find something a little more positive for the next one of these. Uh, <laughs> but I, but my point being in 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 even bringing that up is that I think became the lasting memory of Walt Jockety's tenure. In Cincinnati, more so than you could argue what should have been, which was the building of the 10 to 13 run. And, and that team full of great players, some very shrewd moves, some very productive clubhouses, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of things that it really had everything and was fully rounded out. And it did have a lot of the same feel. Of those, you know, 
Cardinals teams that that he was in charge of. And this is a guy who is a three-time executive of the year in baseball, has a World Series title already in 06, and he needed that signature run like the 06 run was for the Cardinals to sort of cement that and make people view it as what it really was, which was a lot of great work and making it all pay off. And he never really did. He never really did. And that's basically what happens is uh, you end up with people remembering the end because 2012 never came to fruition, which was the team that everything was really built for. Um, okay, lastly, I want to dive into what I, I think is the biggest part of this, and that is the effect on the city. And that is to say, this just falls into the unbelievable pantheon of what has been decades now of Cincinnati sports moments where right when you feel like the hell that it has been to be a Cincinnati sports fan is about to evaporate, it just becomes the latest slice of heartbreak. Um, from Carson Palmer's knee to Kenyon, Kenyon Martin's injury, you know, to the UCXU Nashville meltdowns, to Johnny Cueto. You know, I mean, these things seem to happen over and over again. And this was the one because it's the Reds. And it's just different when the, when it's the Reds. And the Reds are good. And it feels like this can be the time. It's like, And it's a year where every single time through the rotation they were healthy. And at that moment is when this happens. It just it's – it's one of those that – creates and inflames a frustrated fan base. Uh, and that's been over the collective of all the sports. It's, and this was, this was one of the biggest ones of all of those that we mentioned. It's true. Um, you, you can speak to that better than I can. Um, because you're from here and you've been around and I just haven't. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I always feel, like an outsider on those conversations. So I just usually don't engage. Yeah. In it. But <laughs> no, it's, it's certainly a, are an insider. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things where I think when you then look at now eight years later and you've seen, you saw a lot of fan angst help fuel what was the turnover of every major coaching position in this city. I mean, Luke Fickle, grizzled veteran, um, a lot of that, a lot of that goes back to all of this stuff being connected to each other, whether it be, you know, what's happened with the Reds or when with Marvin Lewis or when you go over to Mick Cronin, uh, you, you go all these places where there is this anxiety and need to win now that I think has been part of what's brought out the lanterns and the pitchforks a little bit. Um, and that's just a part of, of what it is in that moment was the moment of, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Here we go again. Uh, and that's, and that's what it was. Uh, all right. I think we've, I think we've officially captured. I hope this wasn't too sad for everybody. 
<laughs> I, I, I hope you're hanging in there uh, despite diving back into a time. But let's remember, it's a time where this was the problems in the world. What we would give. What we would give for that. That's the perspective that we all need on this. This what we would give when this was the issues. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're going to keep going here uh, with WARP and, and try to find interesting topics to dive into. Stuff does happen with the Reds. Of course, we'll keep you updated on that. But, um, you know, whatever's going on, we'll be here uh, chatting about it. So we will talk to you next time. WARP in Cincinnati. Ooh. Ooh.